American Craftsman Podcast is sponsored by Bits and Bits. In their shop in Oregon, Bits and Bits manufactures a wide range of spiral router bits from one eighth inch shank to half inch shank, from one thirty second inch cutting diameter to half inch cutting diameter. They make upcut, downcut, compression bits, and more. They're used in router tables, handheld routers, and CNC machines, from hobbyists to production shops. They coat their bits in a Astro coating, proprietary nano coating designed to keep the bit running cooler, prolonging the sharpness of the cutting edge. They're the only factory authorized dealer to Astro coat white side router bits. Their expanding line of white side bits ranges from spiral flush trim bits to roundovers, chamfers, rabbiting bits, and more. They're a festival dealer stocking mainly router and domino related accessories and consumables. You can check them out at bitsbits.com and use our coupon code American Craftsman to save yourself 15%. All right. Welcome back. Yeah. Thanks uh, for hanging out with us. Yeah. Where uh, where we last left you, we were talking about um, the Eames, Charles yeah. and Ray. Yeah. And uh, we cut off. Yeah, yeah we're sort of too much info. We're sort of going to get into an episode of designers, mm -hmm. and the Eames were a good um, segue mm -hmm. because we did a whole bunch of uh, stuff on plywood, which is a really probably um, as far as new materials besides plastic, the most uh, prevalent, I'd say, in the, in the modern design. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So we'll, we'll pick up there and then we'll, we'll get into some of their other stuff and check out some other designers. Uh, in addition to, um, the initial attempts of molding plywood, like we left off where they had, uh, the organic chair yeah, won that competition, but never built it. They developed a, uh, a leg splint for wounded soldiers during World War II huh. out of plywood. Again, this is stuff that, you know, we don't even think of. Yeah. Um, so they were just designers by nature. You know, they, they saw a problem and they tried to solve it. Mm -hmm. uh, this was in response to the war's medical officers in combat zones reporting the need for improved emergency transport splints. Interesting. So the Eames created their splints from wood veneers, which they bonded together with resin glue and shaped into compound curves using a process involving heat and pressure. They're, I mean, they're almost like engineers in a way. Yeah. Um, with the introduction of plywood splints, they were able to replace problematic metal traction splints that had side effects of inducing gangrene oh, due to the impairment of blood circulation. Yikes. So the U.S. Navy's funding for the splints allowed Charles and Ray to begin experimenting more heavily with furniture designs and mass production. Oh, got a little bit of that government money. <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost a spit take there. I see how it is, Eames. Government cheese. Yep. I watched the whole <laughs> thing about government cheese. Yeah, what about government cheese? You know, the advent of oh, it and, and all that. It's a real thing. Oh, yeah. That's because we subsidize the hell out of the dairy farmers and they make all kinds of extra milk and then they turned it into cheese. Most of the government <laughs> cheese now is owned by private companies. They, like, sold it off. Ah, yeah, yeah. And it's in these, these caves in Missouri. No Government way. cheese caves, yeah. Holy crap. The more you know, the more you wish you didn't know. Yeah. Well, we're going to start getting into the Eames furniture designs. Uh, they they built all their stuff on Washington Boulevard until the 1950s. Hmm. Uh, among the many important designs originating there are the molded plywood chair, the, the DCW known as the dining chair wood, and the DCM, known as the dining chair metal with a plywood seat. Hmm. Uh, 1945. The Eames lounge chair, of course, that's, you know, everybody knows that chair. It's the, the iconic <clears throat> chair. Yeah. The aluminum group. Let's see if we got a picture of that. There's the Eames chair. Oh, it's... Oh, yeah, it's like the office chair, kind of. Yeah. 
again, so this is designed in 1945. It, it's, it's like an office chair that you'd still see in the offices. Yeah, uh, 1958. Uh, for the aluminum group. The Eames Chase, uh, designed for Charles's friend and film director Billy Wilder. The solar do-nothing machine, <laughs> an early solar energy experiment for the Aluminum Corporation of America, <laughs> and a number of toys. So, Herman Miller, he has another name I'm sure everyone's familiar with, officially relocated the tooling and resources for the mass production of Eames designs to his headquarters in Zeeland, Michigan in 1958. Herman Miller, along with their European counterpart, Vitra, what we just looking at? Mm -hmm, remain the only licensed manufacturers of Eames furniture and products. Hmm. So if uh, you want an authentic Eames design, you have to get it from Herman Miller or Vitra. I guess Eames office that I was looking at is <clears throat> a bunch of BS. Huh. It's like your fake stickly. Yeah, right. Although maybe not. Maybe that's a little bit of a different situation. Yeah. Um, as with their earlier molded plywood work, the Eames pioneered technology such as using fiberglass as a, a material for mass-produced furniture. Um, from the beginning, the Eames furniture has usually been listed as by Charles Eames. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> what happened to Ray? In 1948 and 52, Herman Miller bound catalogs. Oh, in, in the 48 and 52 Herman Miller bound catalogs, only Charles's name is listed. But it's become clear that Ray was deeply involved and was an equal partner with her husband in many projects. Charles was consistently advocating that Ray was his equal. Then he mysteriously was assassinated. <laughs> In August, That's not true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. In August 2005, Maharam fa Fabrics reissued Eames Design Fabrics. See Things, a 1947 pattern, and Dot Pattern. Dot Pattern was conceived for the Museum of Modern Art's competition for pr printed fabrics in 1947. Hmm. And the Eames Fabrics were designed solely by Ray. Hmm. Um, in 1979, the Royal Institute of British Architects awarded Charles and Ray with the Royal Gold Medal. At the time of Charles's death, they were working on what became their last production, the Eames Sofa, which went into production thanks to Ray's efforts in 1984. Hmm, I want to see what that looks like. Yeah. The Eames Sofa. Eames Sofa. 1984. Ooh, yeah. 14 grand at Herman Miller. Does it look like it's part of the aluminum group? Looks like the like the lounge chair. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Almost reminiscent of like an airport uh yes. terminal. Or gate, I mean. Mm hmm Yeah. Very cool though. Yeah, this is it's so awesome because you think think about how there's nothing like it at at that time. Yeah. And just how um almost ubiquitous the these designs are now. Yeah, transcends time. Um that the not there's knockoffs of knockoffs of knockoffs of these designs. Mm -hmm. Um let's see the Eames plastic chair. There it is. Yeah, yeah. that's the plastic dining chair without upholstery. And you see there's a multitude of bases, it seems like. Yeah. Some just have four, uh, yeah, I like this too. You know, stick uh, four wooden... Uh, legs? You know, like staked furniture kind of style mm -hmm. legs. Some of them have metal legs. Some of them have this this uh, sort of like wire strut between wooden legs. There's a bunch of different variations. They almost look like... Um, some of those chairs like you'd see out in those old patio sets too. Mm. 
There's the Eames yeah. chair. There's like a whole Wikipedia page on the Eames chair. Oh, yeah. I can only <laughs> I mean, imagine. It's, it's so cool. It almost looks like you'd have like speakers like embedded mm -hmm. into the headrest. I mean, imagine just like watching a movie in this <clears> or reading a book. It does make you want to read a book, doesn't it? Makes you want to do something. Makes you want to sit. So the Eames lounge chair and ottoman, uh, they're made of molded plywood and leather, designed by Charles and Ray for the Herman Miller Furniture Company. They're officially titled the Eames Lounge 670 and Ottoman 671 and released in 1956 after years of development. Um, it was the first chair that the Eames designed for a high-end market. Hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah. Examples of these furnishings are part of the permanent collection in New York's Museum of Modern Art, otherwise known as MoMA. We've got to get out there. That would be a cool that you know that would be a field trip for the um podcast yeah so uh where were we where um, is where that's uh, i think it's uptown i think near like central park right i think so yeah you know i'm gonna say it'd be a nice take the ferry but the ferry wall street i think is probably the closest you'll get yeah i don't know how far that is but they have lots of new terminals nowadays that i'm not aware of um, it's, uh, 53rd street, 11 West 53rd street. What's wall street. Oh, that's way down at the bottom of yeah. Manhattan. Um, yeah. So let's see 53rd. I think, um, <coughs> so it's like 53rd and fifth, probably I'm going to guess, you know, I think <coughs> you got a tickle in my throat too. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, between fifth and sixth. Oh God! <laughs> <coughs> it's all this talking. Yeah, this is three in a row. We haven't done this in a while because we've been so so damn busy. So, oh, I need water. What we'll do is we'll uh, we'll have to we'll get a group together. We'll give a guided tour of the. Not that we have any idea what we're talking about. We'll be tour guides. It's like uh, you go on those Perillo tours. Oh yeah. <laughs> so they um they make these chairs for high end clients, <clears throat> but they wanted to develop. Oh God, I can't talk anymore. <laughs> Rob's got a case of acute laryngitis. <sighs> Getting into my. Glacier Lakes natural spring water. Oh, Glacier Lakes. Yeah, hmm. came free. Oh, yeah. So, I'm sure everybody's chuckling now. All right. Charles and Raheem sought to develop furniture that could be mass-produced and affordable, um, with the exception of the Eames Lounge chair. And that luxury item was inspired by the, the traditional English club chair. Hmm. <clears throat> like a good club chair. Me too. Uh, it's an icon of modern style and design. Although when it was first made, Ray Eames remarked in a letter to Charles that the chair looked comfortable and undesigny. <laughs> it definitely looks comfortable. Yeah. I mean, there's no denying that. You Char look at it and you, <clears throat> you really, you feel compelled to, I mean, I haven't seen one in person, but you want to sit in it. Oh, like, definitely. You're like, man, I got to sit in that. Well, Charles's vision for the chair was one of warmth, uh, one with a receptive look of a well-used first baseman's mitt. Wow, that's they they nailed it on the design because mm -hmm. that's what it looks like. Yeah, uh, it's and it's it's simple in design as far as its component parts. Mm -hmm. Three curved plywood shells covered with veneer. The headrest, the backrest, and the seat. And the layers are glued together and shaped under heat and pressure. Uh, the shells and the seat cushions are essentially of the same shape and composed of two curved forms interlocking to form uh, one solid mass. Hmm. Uh, the chair back and headrest are identical in proportion. Oh, I didn't know that. <clears throat> we'll get, get another look at that. 
as are the seat and the ottoman. Huh. Yeah, I guess just minus these little uh, the wings. protuberances yeah. here. Mm. It doesn't, doesn't look like it, does it? Yeah, it looks like, I don't know, if you kind of follow that curve out, maybe. Yeah, I guess so. You really just want to sit in it, though. Mm-hmm. It's got, I mean, it's really a lounge chair. It's got quite a, a recline to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the materials for the lounge chair have changed in various ways over time. <clears throat> Beginning in 1956 and running through the, the very early 1990s, the shells were made up of five thin layers of plywood, which were covered by Brazilian rosewood veneer. Ooh, wow. No, they're not using that now. No. <laughs> that was discontinued in the early 1990s. And uh, currently, production... Uh, consists of seven layers of plywood covered by um, veneers of cherry, walnut, palisander rosewood, which is a sustainably grown wood with similar grain patterns. So uh, what they call Indian rosewood? Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, it's similar to a Brazilian rosewood, but it's sustainably grown. Hmm. Palisander rosewood. Sounds like maybe... <clears throat> Let's check it out. Alessander Eames. Really looks nice. Yeah. Alessander Rosewood. Yeah, so you could get one walnut and mm -hmm. same doesn't doesn't say, but We're going to assume it's something similar. Yeah. Um, they have made some small changes in, over the years. Uh, the spaces between the aluminum splines and the wood panels were originally of rubber, uh, then later hard plastic washers, and the number of screws securing the armrests, originally three, changed to two <laughs> in the second series models. While the domes of silence, the glider feet on the chair base, originally had thinner screws attaching them to the aluminum base than those on later chairs. Uh, and the zipper around the cushions, either brown or black on early models, was later black only. Blasphemy. <clears throat> Further, early Ottomans had removable rubber slide-on feet with metal glides. And early labels are of oblong foil. I mean, these seem like really minuscule changes, so they've held fast to that design since 56. Yeah. Um, the Eames lounge chair first appeared on the Arlene Francis home show broadcast on NBC in 1956. That sounds like a fun show. Yeah. Immediately following the debut, Harmon Miller launched an advertising campaign that highlighted the versatility of the chair. Hmm. Print ads depicted the 670 in a Victorian parlor hmm. occupied by a grandmother shelling peas on the front porch of an American Gothic-style house and in the middle of a sunny field of hay. Interesting. I guess they're trying to say it fits in anywhere. Right. Since its introduction... The chair has been in continuous production by Miller Knoll in the USA. Well. And later Vitra, in cooperation with the German furniture company Fritz Becker KG, began producing the chair for the European market. Uh, it was licensed in the UK for 10 years to Hill. That name looks familiar. Yeah. International uh, in 1957. Seems like a chair is a good... Uh, <clears throat> thing to design you know if like you want to if you want to make a name yeah immediately following its release other furniture companies began to copy the chair's design some made direct copies others were merely influenced by the design uh the former 
Plycraft Company issued dozens of chairs with, that were direct copies of or in the style of the EAM 670. Later, Chinese and European companies began making direct copies. Uh, however, Herman Miller and Vitra remain the only two companies to produce these chairs with the Eames name attached. Let's see, like how cheap can you get? An e Eames yeah. Lounge, an Eames 670. Let's see. $659.99. Is that with the Ottoman? Hey, look, there's my chair right there. Yeah. Holy cow. Um, yeah, that's with the Ottoman. Wow. Mid-century lounge chair and Ottoman. Modern chair, classic design. Where is that? Like on Alibaba or something? This Amazon. Amazon. Palisander Wood. Heavy duty base. I mean, uh, from the outside, looks looks just like it, doesn't it? Yeah. At, you know, one-sixth of the price, basically. You got style 6, style 12. What's that? Upgraded and tall. I don't know what that means. Style 5. You know it's it's from China when <coughs> it's labeled by style. Like yeah. style one, style two, style three. It's like style six probably has no ottoman, even mm -hmm. though they show it in the picture. <laughs> you gotta read the fine print. I'm sure you could find it even cheaper. Wow. Somewhere else. You know, there's probably one for like two hundred and forty nine dollars. You know, the real deal from Herman Miller is going for about 6500 in that. Um, in the Pilisand, Palisander. Yeah. Now look at this one. The green. Oh, wow. That's nice. It, Where'd it go? Here's the green leather. Oh. White ash. Wow. With the green. It is... It's very sharp. Yeah. Yeah, apparently in 2006, to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the chair, they started using the sustainable palisander. Oh, so they went 16 <clears throat> years without a rosewood option. Yeah, so uh, where has this chair appeared in popular culture? On Frasier. Never watched Frasier. Frasier features the chair and ottoman in the apartment of the titular character, Frasier Crane, who identifies it by name in the pilot episode and describes it in a later episode as the best engineered chair in the world. Hmm. Uh, Shark Tank. Shark Tank replaced its red chairs it had for eight seasons with Eames lounge chairs as part of a new modern set. Interesting. I do I do enjoy that show when I catch it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's obviously a little bit. I Carly. That's a is that a kid's show? I think it's like a yeah, like a Nickelodeon sort of like a young young adult teenage kind of based yeah. uh show. It also featured the chair and sometimes Ottoman in the Seattle apartment of Carly Shea and her brother Spencer. Also set in Seattle with Frazier. Hmm. House, the doctor show, featured the chair and ottoman in Dr. House's office. Uh, and, man, things I miss the most by Steely Dan mentions the comfy Eames chair in the lyric of the second chorus. What do you, uh, Steely Dan does it again. <laughs> And finally, the chair and ottoman appeared in the cover of the eighth volume of Spy Times Family manga series used by character Frankie. I just learned what that manga, manga is. Yeah. I'm not familiar with Spy Spy Family. Look, that's a chair. Yeah. That's uh first volume. See if they got to cover the eighth volume. Let's see. I look it up right here. Spy fam, spy X family, spy X family, eight. 
Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty heavily obscured, but that's mm-hmm. definitely it. Yeah. So it's a it's a cultural icon. Mm-hmm. I mean it 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 says something. Yeah. All right. It's a truly American design. Yes. Um, Arn Jacobson is the next guy we're going to talk about. The egg chair. The Jacobson egg chair. Now, I... Wow. That's not what I remembered it being, but... That looks uh, more like a tulip than a tulip chair. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. It's upholstered. Uh, it must have either, you know, plastic or fiberglass base or a curved plywood base, but it's, it's upholstered 360 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got an, an unusual shape to it. Yeah. I mean, it's like a high back chair that kind of like a wing, like a wing back chair yeah, in yeah. like a egg shape. Um, I'm sure if you're thinking of like one of those pods, that's what I was thinking of. Right. It's like what Keith wants to make. Right. It'd be like that if you removed some of the pod, you know, and and made it into like a wing back. And it kind of flares out at the top, like Mm -hmm. wider than you would expect if you're thinking of like an egg shape. Yeah. So the egg chair, um, was designed by Arne Jacobson in 1959 this is stuff is so early. It's so radical for the time, isn't yeah. it? For the Radisson SAS Hotel in Copenhagen, Denmark. You know, you think of like Leave It to Beaver kind of era. And right. It's like, I can't see anybody having this. Like these people must have been such weirdos. Compared exactly. To, it was like that thing that meme I showed you. It's like people who are into art and then people who do art. Yeah. It's like that's yeah. That's who these people were. I mean it. That the Leave It to Beaver thing is perfect because it was so staid and you know that colonial furniture, mm-hmm. the, the colonial revival stuff is, and then these guys come out. With this totally wacky. Um, yeah. And so it's this, it's still manufactured by the Republic, by Republic of Fritz Hansen. Hmm. And, um, Jacobson also designed for the Radisson, his swan chair. Ooh. Wow. That's cool. It's sort of like a relaxed low top version of the egg chair. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It looks really comfortable and yeah. inviting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got the same style base as Eames. Yep. That's cool. Um, Ooh, Grand Prix. The Grand Prix chair. Let's look at it and then we'll talk about it. Wow. Oh, yeah. I've seen that design. That's for sure. This, this isn't it. Amazing. I mean, how prevalent these designs are. Yeah. And you see all the knockoffs now, and this is just like a flat bent mm-hmm. piece of plywood, and that doesn't have any of this shape to it. Right. This is like a really nice veneered piece of curved and shaped plywood. Yeah. As the seat. I mean, these legs and are. And back. Legs are awesome. Yeah. It, it, it's gorgeous. And um, it's the Grand Prix chair by Arne Jacobson. Again, designed in 1957. Uh, Arne was a Danish architect and designer, and he presented this chair at the spring exhibition of Danish arts and crafts at the Danish Museum of Art and Design in Copenhagen. Um, You guys got to... Check it out if you if you're interested at all in in listening to us go on and on about these designs. Mm-hmm. You gotta just click, you know, on a couple of links because you'll you'll be amazed at how these these designs are um, everywhere. Yeah, I mean they're everywhere. Uh, it was originally known as the forty one thirty. 
European design. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's not a very nice name. But it was renamed after it won the Grand Prix at the 11 Triennial de Milano. Hmm. 11 Triennale de Milano. Third, what's that? Third annual Milan. It must be some competition. Design and Art Museum. Located in Milan. An international exhibition of art and design. Held at the museum 13 times between 1936 and 1996. So it was that oh. 13th exhibition of, okay. uh, of art in the it's a cool looking building. Yeah. like that entryway. Yeah. Um, so this chair came out in 57. That's crazy. <laughs> it's funny. It's construction and design mostly resembles the model 3107. <laughs> ah, the old 3107. Which Jacobson designed in 1955. Jeez. But featured four wooden legs. Oh, those were metal legs. I didn't even realize. Ah. Oh, yeah. This you've seen too. Yes. Yeah, with those like. Here we got a 3207. We got 3107. Oh, sorry, a 3108 and a 3107. Oh, one's got arms. I mean, they're all similar designs. You could see it comes from the same palette. I mean, you would never look at these and say, yeah, 1950s. No way. Um, so this guy, Arne Jacobson, he's quite a substantial designer in his own right. He's a heavy hitter. Um, the chair is produced by Fritz Hansen out of Beach Ortique. And the wooden hmm. legs were later replaced by the metal undercarriage used on the 3107s, <laughs> with which it also sh shares the shape of the lower half of the shell. The surface of the shell is then varnished, painted, or finished with cloth or leather. Uh, it's 50 centimeters wide, 52 centimeters deep, seat height of 44 centimeters, and total height of 78 centimeters high. It's pretty deep. Yeah. That's 22 inches, 21 inches deep. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, 20, I guess. Jacobson had some large commissions the with the SAS Royal Hotel. He built uh, from 1956 to 1960. He was uh, given the opportunity to design what has been called the world's first designer hotel. Hmm. He designed everything from the building and its furniture and fittings to the ashtrays sold in the souvenir shop and the airport buses. That's a gig. My right God. There. That's a gig. That's like a lifetime's worth of work. Um, these larger assignments started to attract attention and commissions from abroad. I don't know how to say that. That I don't know what that Rodovra yeah, town the, hall. With the O with the line yeah. through it is. It secured him an invitation for his first competition in Germany, which was followed by a number of other German projects. I want to see a picture of this hotel first. Hmm. Very um, unassuming from the outside. Yeah. It's like a like a modern... There we go. There's some uh, Arn Jakobsen chairs. Yeah, that's probably how you say his name. I've been calling him Jacobson. Totally Anglican. Emphasizing his name. <laughs> I watched a good video on that too of like uh how we destroy everybody's name. <laughs> well, like yeah, like why, you know, like uh you know, Germany is Deutschland. Right. We say Germany. In Spanish they say Alemania. Like why are there different names in different languages for uh, for different things? Mm -hmm. Like shouldn't you technically use the the word what of they, the origin yeah. of where it's from? Yeah. Um. Yeah, look, a whole slew of chairs. I like this. It's like a thirty-one oh eight right yeah. here. Yeah, I like that light, that green, that teal one in the back. That's there. cool too. Yeah. So he designed all the furniture and fittings for the hotel. Here we go. There's some wow. uh, egg chairs. Oh, I like these. These sofas. Yeah. Low arm chairs. 
These are cool. It's teardrop shaped mm -hmm. one. Pretty cool. It, his design influence is substantial. Mm -hmm. um, a delegation of Oxford Dons visited the SAS Hotel and the Munkgaard School in their search for an architect for St. Catherine's College. Wow. They were soon convinced he was the right choice for their important commission. Hmm. Again, Jakobsen designed everything, including the garden, down to the choice of fish species for the pond. <laughs> I can't tell if these guys are just like megalomaniacs or what. Yeah, they're like, just you got carte blanche, whatever you want to do. The dining hall is notable for its Cumbrian slate floor. The original college buildings received a grade one listing on March 30th, 1993. I don't even know what that means. No, I don't. Scroll back up there. Is that St. Catherine's uh, College? Uh, Oxford is quite uh, a place steeped in tradition. So for them to have given this guy a commission... This is his his design here. Hard yeah, to see the dining at, hall. How high those backs are on those chairs. Wow. It is pretty wild. Hey, what happened? That seems to be the only interior That's view, it. but it's cool that they do have... Uh, College is located to the east of central Oxford on the banks of the Cherwell buildings in glass, brick, and concrete by the Danish architect Arne Jacobson. Jacobson. Designed right. everything, including the furniture, cutlery, lampshades, and the college gardens down to the choice of fish species for the pond. That's amazing. I didn't know Oxford had any modern buildings in it like that. I, I watched this TV show that's set in Oxford. They never, ever showed it. <laughs> um, and it's, I'm going to say, the, the two series probably span close to 20 seasons. Mm -hmm. And they've never, ever shown anything but the traditional, you know, old buildings. Yeah, well, they're trying to paint a specific picture, yeah, I guess. Yeah, um, That was like uh, Simon. There's a show, and uh, it's it's based in like i don't know not present times but in the past and like the pub that he used to go to is in mm -hmm. it and it's like you know because it hasn't changed since the 1600s or whatever <laughs> all right so that was jacobson mm -hmm. he's he's a guy if you haven't you know if you didn't know of him know of his work really worth checking out yeah um Oh, here's the tulip chair. We're getting into the next guy, uh, and I'm probably going to kill his name too. Aero Saarinen. Let's see. So it was, it's Wikipedia. Sometimes they have a phonetic. Uh... Oh, so he's from Finland. Oh, no. It does give you like a. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff there that I don't understand. Like a phonetic thing, but we don't know how to decipher that. And his uh, big design was the tulip chair. I've been waiting for that. Mm -hmm. uh, 1955 and 56. And he designed it for the Knoll Company of New York City. Designed primarily as a chair to match the complimentary dining table. The chair has the smooth lines of modernism and was experimental with materials for its time. Uh, it's considered a classic of industrial design and it's often considered space age for its futuristic use of curves and artificial materials. Yeah, it's got a very 1960s look to me. Mm -hmm. uh, Saarinen said... The undercarriage of chairs and tables in a typical interior makes an ugly, confusing, unrestful world. I wanted to clear up the slum of legs. I wanted to make the chair all one thing again. Huh. He'd hoped to produce the chairs as a one-piece unit made entirely of fiberglass, but this material was not able to support the base, hmm. 
and prototypes were prone to breakage. As a result, the base of the tulip chair is of cast aluminum with a Rilzan coated finish to match the upper shell, giving the appearance of a single unit. Interesting. The upper shell is molded fiberglass with a reinforced plastic bonded finish. Uh, the upholstered foam cushion is removable with Velcro fastening. Wow. And he got a patent for the tulip chair in 1960. Um, what's Saarinen's legacy? He's considered now one of the masters of American 20th century architecture. Uh, I didn't know that. You know what's funny is like back in the day, architects were designing furniture, but now you would never expect an architect. No. They can barely design a freaking building. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you this. It's, I mean, part of it is the division of labor. Yeah. And we talked about how this um, affected our industry. And back when I was doing cost estimating, I would get these sets of blueprints from you know, big firms doing, cause we were doing work for Merrill Lynch and NYU and stuff. So these were major firms and they had all the, the lower level architects doing this boilerplate stuff. Mm -hmm. And the only, the, you know, the, the only top work was done by, you know, one or two people and you'd have tons of mistakes. Yeah in all these things or all this stuff that was completely overlooked that was, wasn't possible to build. Yeah. Like the, you know, the main design, uh, the main architect comes up with the general, like comes up with the look, the mm -hmm. shell of the building. And then, you know, all the, the, le the rest of it's left to the, to the peons down yeah. at the bottom. Yeah. To fill in the blanks. Um, but that's a great point. I mean, all these guys that we're talking about and admiring, the Greens, the Frank Lloyd Wrights, the Saarinen's, Jacobson. Yeah. It, even Eames. Um, yeah. I mean, they stuck to furniture for the most part, but just... The product design. Yeah. Yeah. They, they just were thinkers and doers with imagination. And um, it's just so much more impressive than what's being done today, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he probably didn't get the accolades back then from, uh, you know, mainstream uh, press and industry, but he's now considered one of the masters of American 20th century architecture. Yeah. Um, there's been a surge of interest in his work in recent years, including a major exhibition and several books. Uh, it's partly because the Roche and Dinkaloo office he has donated <laughs> um this is partly because the roche and dinkaloo office has donated its saarinen archives to yale university but also because saarinen's oh this is a hard word to say Oof. yeah oeuvre can be said to fit in with present day concerns about pluralism of styles um i think it's his his style, his palette yeah. uh, can be said to fit in with present day concerns about pluralism of styles. So the you know his his stuff still works. Oh, well, here you go. This is to to your point earlier. He was criticized in his own time most vociferously by Yale's Vincent Scully for having no identifiable style. One explanation for this is that Saarinen's vision was adapted to each individual client and project, which were never exactly the same. Yeah, that's the sign of a good designer. Oh, my God. Scully also criticized him for designing buildings that were packages with no connection with human use. This is all in quotes. At once, cruelly inhuman and trivial as if they had been designed by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. <laughs> I mean, how talk wrong about, can you be? Talk about being vociferous. Oh, my God. I guess you want to take it to... Um, yeah, you want to want to finish Saren? Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll take well, it up to Harry and then we'll stop. All right, yeah. 
Um, so the papers of Align and Eero Saarinen from 1906 to 1977 were donated in 1973 to the Archives of American Art, Smithsonian Institution, uh, by Charles Allen, uh, Alain's, I think that's Aileen? her name, Alain, Aileen. Aileen? Aileen's, Saarinen's brother and executor of her estate. Um, that must have been his wife and so his uh, brother-in-law. In 2006, the bulk of these primary source documents on the couple were digitized and posted online on the archives website. Very cool. Yeah, it's the kind of history that could just be lost to time, you know, if it's not yes. for these people saying, oh, man, you know, my my uh, um, sister's husband, like, was pretty significant. I better donate these documents to, yeah, to Yale uh, or to the Smithsonian. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of blown away by, you know, how uh, prominent his designs are featured in just everyday life to, you know, 70 years later. Yeah. The Euro Sarnin Connect collection at the Canadian Center for Architecture documents eight built projects, including the old Athens Airport in Greece. Jeez. The former U.S. Embassy chanceries in Oslo, Norway, and London, England, corporate projects for John Deere, CBS, and IBM, and the North Christian Church in Columbus, Indiana. An exhibition of Sarnin's work, Euro Sarnin, Shaping the Future, was organized by the Finnish Cultural Institute in New York in collaboration with Yale School of Architecture and the National Building Museum and the Museum of Finnish Architecture. Hmm. The exhibition toured in Europe and the U.S. from 2006 to 2010 and included a stint at the National Building Museum in Washington, D.C. The exhibition was accompanied by the book Eero Saarinen, Shaping the Future, and in 2016, Eero The Architect Who Saw the Future, a film about Saarinen co-produced by his son, Eric, premiered on the PBS American Masters. Oh, I've seen that show. Let's I, check I that haven't out. seen this episode, though. Um, I'm going to have to look for that. Yeah. Because I have that PBS uh, passport. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah. So um, Saarinen's Tulip Chair is best known... Oh, there you go. That's it. I mean, that that's in every sci-fi movie that was yeah. made in 1970. Yeah, that's like what uh, Captain Kirk said on them. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, you know, resembles like a wine glass, basically. It does. Yeah. I guess that's why they call it the tulip chair. It's the base. Like uh, a tulip glass. Is that it? Yeah, I mean, this kind of looks like a tulip flower a little bit uh -huh. at the top, you know, just like maybe yeah. like one petal. Ah, yes. You know, because, like, a, you know, a tulip does kind of look like a wine glass. Yeah. Um, oh, look at, look at that. You were right on the money. Oh, wow. I was just, that was just a shot in the dark. Saarinen's tulip chair is best known as the model for the captain's chairs on the original Star Trek television series. Man, I never even watched that. And the womb chair. Very much like the uh, Eames dining chair. Mm -hmm. With different kind of legs. Mm -hmm. You know, some very minimal tubular steel or aluminum legs. The ottoman, almost a direct copy of yeah. the Eames lounge chair. Aside yeah. from the, the legs. But just a, you know, a concave plywood, molded shell. plywood yeah. shell with a cushion. But the this is fully upholstered. There's no exposed wood veneer yeah so well what do you take from this mid-century modern shaping up to be quite a quite a little series here i know because you know it's so much more than like the danish modern and you know the front doors with the small little windows yep. in them and stuff like that mm -hmm. and uh just the the low slung cabinetry with the, uh, you know, flush drawer faces. Yeah. Th these things are really influential. Yeah. I mean, we've basically only talked about chairs. Yeah. We just, we're barely even scratching the surface.
Um, I, I'm sure there's so much more that we're not going to cover. Yeah. Um, well, there's always next season. Yeah, but from the, the, the humble Sacco yeah. to the Eames office chair to the Tulip chair, mm -hmm. it, it's crazy how much influence these things have had. Might have to do a whole season next season on Mid-Century Motor. Yeah, and what was the name of that wooden chair? Um, the, the Grand Prix? Yeah, the Grand Prix. Holy cow. Yeah. That's another shape that's everywhere. That's a 3107 for you layman's out there. <laughs> oh, Not man. to be confused with 3108. Oh, So we're going to bid farewell and grab some lunch. Yeah, well, uh, next week we're going to get into some more uh, of these designers. And then where do we go from there? That's it. Uh, you know, that's all we got is we're going to talk. Yeah. Uh, oh, look at look who we're going to end with. Yeah, I we got Nakashima at the yeah, end. Yeah, I was going to say, we haven't even talked about Nakashima yet. Yeah, he's he's there. We got two people left, Hotoya and Nakashima. So we may stretch that a little bit or just, you know, riff on Nakashima for 15, yeah. 20 minutes. Well, we, yeah, I mean, we got seven pages left. We yeah. got a lot on these two guys. Oh, well. Not six, really. Six, six pages. pages, yeah. Either way. All right, well, as always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. All right, ciao. As always, Rob and I thank you for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next week. If you want to help support the podcast, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can join our Patreon, or you can use one of our affiliate links in the podcast description for vesting finishes or Myoderm CBD pain relief cream. Um, again, we appreciate your support. Thanks for tuning in.